Cooking with Chopsticks. The truth about dictatorships. A podcast with Chin Li Wen and Marcel Chan. Hello everyone, welcome back to Poking with Chopsticks, another episode. We had a long summer break uh, and a lot of things happened within in the context of Chinese politics and uh, the most, uh, maybe, yeah, most stunning and most attention-drawing event that happened was the release of um, the UN United Nations report just last week from uh, Michel Bachelet, the outgoing High Commissioner for Human Rights in the United Nations. Li Wen, you are uh, back with me and I'm happy about it. What do you think that we finally received a report from Michelle Bachelet on her last day in office? It was postponed for many, many times. We were waiting on it for more than a year. Now it's out. What was your first take on it when you heard, oh, there's finally a report? I think it's very impressive, of course. I mean, as we can see from the response of the analysts, uh, political commentators, journalists, and even politicians about this report, the interesting thing is that China has been so powerful in the past decade, especially its influence has reached to many high-level officials in international organizations, especially like UN. IMF and the World Bank and etc. We have seen in the past decade a sort of uh, carefully treading around <laughs> the issues that that might anger China. But now what we see in the Xinjiang issue, it's, it seems like gradually we finally see this criticism against China pushing their way into these organizations. So I think it's a, definitely a major development for us to witness. And maybe we can see this is a reflection of the losing of grip from Beijing. I don't know whether my conclusion is jumping ahead, but that's how I feel. What do you think about it? You have talked with lots of people, done a lot of interview about it. Let me, in the first place, just explain to people who are not really familiar with, with the report or with the outcome, what is actually in it. It's actually the first time that, that the United Nations accepts evidence that there is or crimes against humanity. That was the formulation. That's a very strong formulation in United Nations terms. And it was clear that the High Commissioner or the Office of doing this report, that they do believe the victims of crimes against humanity in Xinjiang. That means they believe that people have been tortured, that people have been sterilized, forced birth control by sterilization, for example, uh, that people have been taken away without solid foundation for any wrongdoing on a legal base, that we're talking of arbitrarily detention of really a lot of people. The UN just refrained from saying how many people because they said we don't have data. But basically, they just really said, yes, there is evidence that we can draw the conclusion that it is possible that there is crimes against humanity. And that's a, well, a huge statement, I think, regarding your question. The cleavage line in the institutions will deepen, definitely. So when we say China's grip on the on the institutions, UN institutions, will loosen. That might apply for a certain faction within the institutions. I, I think that China still have a 
big coalition already at hand of dozens of countries supporting China's stance on their human rights record. I don't see anyone actually deserting China from this group. I mean, maybe I'm wrong with one or two or three countries, but the big share of these countries will stick to China and they will go along with China's demand that Xinjiang, Hong Kong, Tibet issues are internal affairs and nobody should interfere, how the Chinese call it, or meddle with Chinese affairs. Countries like Cuba and uh, you have Pakistan and uh, the, the usual suspects, actually, countries that definitely need China support economically. They are craving Chinese economical cooperation and in exchange, they support China's demands and ideas in UN, United Nations institutions. So I think that this report indeed will deepen the cleavage lines between the one side and the other. What that means finally for future resolutions, outcomes, uh, crisis management worldwide, difficult to say, to predict, I think. But um, I think it's likely that we see a further step into decoupling from each other and that international institutions might even lose their authority on certain things because you just don't agree on anything anymore because it's not about certain subjects being discussed in the institution. It's rather about, are you with China or are you with the democratic part in the world? And so I think we will we'll see a lot more contentions going on. And the first chance to, to witness this will be the, the 51st session of the Human Rights Council in a few days in September in Geneva. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll see. There will be a lot of uh, reason to discuss fiercely over this report for sure. But um, you will see a lot of countries supporting China. And that's, yeah, as you say, this is China's grip on these institutions and on these countries. And uh, a lot of these countries won't refrain from supporting China just because the UN released a, a report on, on these crimes. Mm. Uh, what I see is a trend, of course. What I'm saying is not these institutions are already out of China's influence. We are far from that. But the interesting thing is that such a thing is possible now. That is a new trend somehow. I have the feeling. And it, of course, it's completely understandable because since China started this very strict pandemic control measures, the international exchange of people has been very limited between China and the outside world. From people to people exchange to high level exchange, they are not completely, but basically stopped. And recently, what we see is an interesting thing. One of the research institutes under The China Academy of Social Science has published a research paper about the Ming and Qing dynasties, Bi Guan Suo Guo policy. Ming dynasty and Qing dynasty, they are so much afraid of the foreign influences or afraid of people running away from China, migrating abroad, that they close off the borders. And Bi Guan Suo Guo policy has been criticized for a century by the historians and Communist Party also criticized it and believe that this is a sign of backward conservative regime. But the recent research from CAS said that this policy of Ming and Qing dynasty is not really lock up the country, but it is zi zhu xian guan which means restricting the access to the border autonomously, which means it showed the autonomy of the government of Ming and Qing dynasty. 
which is very interesting because that means the central think tanks, they want to justify the current pandemic control measures. There is a sort of tentative thinking to, to somehow bring China back to a state that is isolated from the outside world. That's interesting. So what you basically say is that today's academics in China justify with, with research on Qing and Ming dynasty. I mean, this is like starting 700 years ago till the beginning of the 20th century, basically 600 years to justify today's lockdown. So they just draw the line between these dynasties and say, look what happened there. And this is why it's good that we lock down the country. Are we talking about Corona lockdowns? Or are we talking about this kind of decoupling kind of? No, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, China doesn't want to decouple. China want to keep the economic and uh, industrial influence in the world. But it wants to seal off its border so that the people cannot come out or come in China easily. Sorry, but do you think there is a current fear that people will leave the country like in masses like they did apparently in the Qing or Ming dynasty uh, to, to refrain people from doing that? Or why? what is the reason? I mean, if, if we say it's, it's not deep coupling in its, its real sense, so is it a fear that people leave the country because they want to get out or... What do you think is it? Yeah, not only not only that. I mean, of course, people have been leaving in troves since the Wuhan lockdown. There's one round and then there is uh, another round after Shanghai lockdown. But that was mainly foreigners, right? No, no. Chinese as well. You know, this interesting anecdote that I have heard from my friend, he talked with a real estate agent in Berlin And there are lots of uh, Berlin luxurious real estate property that are sold to Chinese nowadays to help them to immigrate or move their asset abroad. According to this real estate agent, that there are even Chinese who will ship their money in containers because it's so difficult to get the money out of China. So you do see that also capital outflow going to, for example, East Asian and Southeast Asian countries. And Singapore benefited greatly from that. And because of that, Singapore has, Singapore has set a very high standard for the immigration to Singapore, just because of rich Chinese are coming and flooding the island. So it is very, very interesting to see that China, by sealing off its border and hoping to still keep the manufacturing power and, and you know, the market and everything to influence the world politics, how is it going to work? In my mind, it's impossible. When I say losing the grip, I also see it in many of the China researchers, commentators, or, or even industrial people here in Germany, that you could sense that the lack of touch, out of touch among them, because they cannot visit China, Chinese people cannot come. The usual exchange has more or less stopped for three years now. And the influence that China could exert on them have reduced greatly. So I don't know how this is going to work, of course. On the other hand, also you see that this year, China's every province GDP, almost every, goes negative, except a few provinces that don't really matter that much to the whole general GDP of the country. But, but, but Liwen, hang on, just one second. Does it mean, do you think this is like self-confidence that China is, that the Chinese government is confident enough to say, okay, we are able to run the country by ourselves? 
Uh, we don't need foreign inflows that much anymore. We create technology, create wealth by GDP growth. Okay, uh, on a general term now, of course, um, um, limited because to the pandemic measures and stuff, but in, in general, and that they still think with this kind of isolation, they still are able to influence the world that much that it worked in their favor. I think here we have to be very specific because we are talking about different actors in the politics. For one, it is Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping has started this extreme zero COVID strategy and enforced it on every province to test the obedience of the local officials. And this testing of obedience can only be most effective when you give a ridiculous order. Everybody knows that zero COVID policy is ridiculous. There's no point in insisting that we have no COVID case in the country anymore. This is ridiculous because COVID at the moment is not doing so much damage as it used to be anymore. So 79 countries in the world have completely removed the restrictions. But China is still implementing that. And it's ridiculous. Everybody know that. Doctors and experts all came out publicly to say it, but they were soon censored. And Xi Jinping wants this policy to test every province, every city official, how obedient you are. That's it. I don't think he doesn't know that COVID at the moment is not dangerous, at least not to such an extent that it's worth running the country into disaster. And local officials, of course they know. I mean, everybody, I think, under Xi Jinping knows. Because you look at North Korea. North Korea, they had no vaccine. They, they don't even treat their patient. And they already declared victory against COVID. They're like going on as usual. In the media, basically, well, not in the Chinese, of course, but in international media, it is always referred to the, the, the party congress in October coming up. It's a kind of milestone, because especially for Xi Jinping, because he, got, he wants to be determined as, as, a, as a president for his third term, which didn't happen after Mao Zedong died in the 1970s. So he wants to revitalize part of the Communist Party, which has been actually faded for many decades. If it indeed this COVID policy is always related to this October meeting, what it is, is it all about to be so strict on the COVID? Does he need to show the determination to fight an evil virus? Does he need to make, as you say, local governments to be obedient to what he says, just to, to make a stand and, and demonstrate that he rules the country? What, what is the, mo the real motivation? What do you think? I mean, I've talked with different people in China and also I've read lots of these private chats and analysis within Chinese circle because they get more and more secretive. You know, nobody dare to come out to really write anything about it and publish it. It's going to be dead. They are going to be dead if they do that. So what is very, very clear is that COVID is just an excuse. I think everybody knows that by now. It is just about testing the obedience. And why does, why does Xi Jinping want to test the obedience of these officials? It's very, very, very simple. It is just because he wants to be the next Mao Zedong and even greater than Mao Zedong. And do you think it is necessary then to get that gesture of obedience to become that Mao Zedong? Do you, without this kind of gesture, he, he would never reach that status? No. No, he would not, of course. I mean, but you have to look at what Mao Zedong has done. He hasn't done half of Ma what Mao Zedong has done. Uh, he was just like a lousy copy of Mao Zedong. If you think about how Mao Zedong killed 
basically all his old comrades who fought with him and fought for him, like Liu Shaoqi, for example, and persecuted Zhu De as well, Peng Dehuai, and etc. And and basically pulled the whole country into a great famine between 1959 and 1961. I mean, everybody is afraid of that in China. That history will repeat if this so-called zero COVID policy continues. But still, the the severity of his consequence of his policy is still milder than what Mao Zedong has brought to the country. But why does he need the obedience? He wants absolute power. Very simple. Very often, I find it very hard to explain. This crave for power, crave for absolute power and adoration from the people. If you look at Kim family in North Korea, that's what they, you know, they enjoy it. I know. I saw just a, a very short sequence on Twitter recently. One and a half minute news, some Chinese uh, station. I don't know, whatever, a news magazine. It actually consisted of one and a half minute. Xi Jinping entering a room with party members who are applauding wildly, and nothing else happened.、Mm-hmm. Nothing else <laughs> happened. They just showed Xi Jinping in front of these people, and they were clapping, 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 like they do when Kim Jong Un enters the stage. Yeah. So the similarities, as you say, is 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 getting more and more into that direction with this personal cult. He tried many times in the past decade. To re-establish this sort of frenetic worship among the people to him, but then he was repeatedly somehow boycotted by other central standing committee members or other princeling families. Because of that, because of this secret battle behind the scene, we so far we don't know who are these people, but. Very obviously, right now is that him and his gang trying to fight. Everybody else who have a bit of the power to resist, at least passively and secretly, against his advance of power, and there is one case which is very telling. Someone earlier this year in Guangxi Minority Autonomous Region, first of all, the local party congress elected Xi Jinping as the next leader of the party. And、after that, they were promoting this little red book written by Xi Jinping. So they completely duplicated what has happened in 1950s and 60s China. They were reading this little red book of Xi Jinping's thoughts and taking photos of that. Do you sorry? Do you think this is happening out of fear or out of conviction? This is a loyalty declaration. Of course, it's partly fear. Loyalty to dictators are always out of fear, but also out of the urge to gain the favor of the coming great leader. And they tried to do that. The local officials in Guangxi tried to do that. But very interesting. Very soon, like a week after that. All these official news from Guangxi pictures of these people reading little red book together in exactly the same posture as people did in the Cultural Revolution disappeared. They were censored from the internet. So there's a secret resistance within the system, which is quite obvious to people who know a bit about infight in China's politics. But resistance to what extent and how long can they hold is another issue. At the moment, the resistance happens not only from those who want to overthrow him, but also from those who don't want to take side. They just want to live and duck their head and live. For example, that the party secretary of Tibet. 
was recently sacked because he obviously did not successfully implement the zero COVID strategy just because he, he was reluctant to implement this devastating lockdown policy to the province. Probably he didn't want to stand against Xi Jinping or be a hero, but just because every local official is under heavy pressure, the economy is so damaged that they have to reduce the income of their civil servants. This is not going to work. And everyone is in a panic. Wouldn't it, in, in, in Chinese politics, couldn't it be possible that Xi Jinping now says, we reached a point where we realize that it's better to omit zero COVID And instead to open up the country again, because the damage we're doing to the economy is much bigger, uh, because the damage to economy, economy means always damage, also damage to people. And this is much bigger than the damage the, the virus still does to the people. So wouldn't it be possible for him to just do this step? One thing about the grabbing for power by dictators in the history is that people is not their concern. That's true, yes. Sure. Let me correct myself. People's welfare is not to their concern, unless improving people's welfare would help them to gain power. But in China, it's not the case. Xi Jinping launched all these wars against the rich people, against the, the industrialists, the, the tech giants, against the private financial institutions. You know, basically everybody. It's because... Uh, thriving private sector naturally is a force against dictator. In the history, in European history, it's the same. So you have to put these people under control. And, and as long as the private sector is thriving, you have something that's beyond your control, but also have rich resources to, to resist you. I mean, not that they want to overthrow him, but then they would just do whatever they want to do, you know, because they can in the past year, I have seen lots of analysis from investment circle, like the private fund are basically withering. What's replacing these private funds, investment funds, are the government fund. They are gigantic. They have absorbed a lot of capital from the society and they are investing randomly in whatever because they are not governed by the rule of the market. They are government fund, so they have all the leeways and protections from the government. So they can do whatever they want and they don't care that much about the profit and returns like the private funds do. I mean, this is, of course, the The, the negative consequence of that. But for Xi Jinping, the good thing is that now the money is in the government hand. Of course, they have strict control on the ideological front and all the media, including online media and social media. And now you also have, you know, in the education front, they are reducing the time of English class in the school which means they actually prefer less people to learn English. And it started to teach Russian in some schools, which is important to cultivate the minds of the future generation. In what areas is that? All over China, they have reduced the English class, the time slots for English class in the schools. I mean, there are many, many measures that is basically gathering the power in the hand of the government and, of course, ultimately in the hand of Xi Jinping. So that's the goal. Yeah, it, it doesn't really matter how people feel, whether people are happy or not. They just don't have a choice at the moment. So we come back to the question, how will China be able to influence the world 
the way it serves its in in in, in its favor. It's, it's getting more and more difficult under these uh, circumstances, right? That's what I see. I mean, exactly. That's that that's the interesting question, right? How can you still keep your influence if exactly. you? If you go on like this, and and we all know that it's impossible, it is impossible. China's international influence will definitely reduce greatly in the coming year, as long as this disastrous and unreasonable policy keeps going. Of course, what I foresee is that something will change after the October Party's Congress. Have you looked into that? How is the German media discussing about it? Not yet. It's just no matter of reporting uh, yet. It's always uh, related to the third term of uh, Xi Jinping. There's no further outlook beyond that. You know, we're just talking the third term right now. And beyond that, no real contention about what's going to happen. So what is your take? What will happen after after Xi Jinping has been re-elected as a lifetime leader? What will happen? My guess, I mean, of course, it, everything's full of uncertainty at the moment. But my guess is the logical deduction from all the behaviors that he has shown us in the past is that if by the time he is elected again, if by that time he still is unsure that everybody is kneeling down in front of him inside the party, then the harsh control harsh crackdown policy, I would call it a crackdown policy, will continue. Maybe not in the name of pandemic control. Maybe he will change another excuse. Well, fight against corruption. For example, the fight against corruption is an old trick. It's always useful. But then there is another thing that you have to notice, that the xenophobic atmosphere in China mm-hmm. has grown even worse I mean, it used to be very bad, but now it's even worse. Recently, there was a girl who wore a kimono. Yes, I saw that story. And take a photo in Suzhou. And then she was arrested by police. I mean, that police might be an isolated case. But what is stunning is the overwhelming support for the police on the internet by a large group of young people who grow up in this hatred towards uh, Japan and uh, every foreign country. So I think after the pandemic control excuse runs out, the next stage is to cleanse the foreign influences and power, the subversive foreign influences among the people. And that could be the formal launch of the next cultural revolution. I, I believe that it already slowly started. Okay, this is a conclusion that, um, well, or at least a development we will follow up uh, with the great excitement and um, attention because this is uh, definitely a time where a lot of things uh, really are going ways we didn't predict like three decades ago. So I think we are at a crossroad now. There we go back to the first question, uh, the effect of the UN report and China's grip on institutions. It's another hint that between China and its supporting countries and democratic countries on the other side will definitely deepen its cleavage lines and we will have more contentions in the future. And we have more stuff to talk about in the future. Uh, Thank you very much, Li Wen, for your takes. And uh, we're going to speak soon, okay? Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Cooking with Chopsticks. The truth about dictatorships. A podcast with Chin Li Wen and Marcel Chanel.